This episode is brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast ever. It's a powerful mobile app and web tool that lets you record a podcast anywhere and distribute it everywhere. It's great whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out. And it's 100% free. Anchor provides creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. You can record your show straight onto Anchor on your phone, iPad, or the web and use any mic you want. Record alone, with friends, or co-host anywhere in the world. Plus, your listeners can send you voice messages that you can then incorporate right into your episode. If you want to produce your show using another app, you can upload your own audio directly from web or mobile and still take advantage of Anchor's totally free podcast hosting. Here at Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. So your listeners can choose where they want to hear your show. Really don't need a recording studio, expensive equipment, or a bunch of technical knowledge to deal with the podcast feed. Just get started and join the diverse community of podcasters already on Anchor. Download the Anchor app available on the App Store and Google Play, or go to anchor.fm on your desktop to get started. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is a CPP webinar as well as a podcast episode for Chat Time. Hi, everyone. Today we'll be talking about the Union of North American uh, Vietnamese Student Associations or UNAVSA's collectively, uh, Collective Philanthropy Project or CPP and their beneficiary, Children of Vietnam. So the purpose of this webinar is to dive deeper into who our beneficiary is, what their focus is, and how we as Eastern Canadians and as community members can contribute to this important organization as individuals and as a whole. So before I begin, my name is Yashar Huang. I am UVSA Ontario's Vice President of Technology, as well as one of the Eastern Canadian CoCOR. So first off, what is CPP? CPP is also known as the Collective Philanthropy Project. It is an annual initiative for Vietnamese students and community organizations to collaborate and partner with in working towards a charitable cause. The idea was to create momentum for a collective national effort under one philanthropic campaign. The CPP campaign assists North American Vietnamese nonprofit organizations or philanthropic organizations to better achieve their mission through collective and collaborative partnership with UNAFSA and their partners. Uh, and so today we have the pleasure um, of the company of Tila Thierry, who is the Executive Director of Children of Vietnam. Uh, so Nancy graduated with a Bachelor of Science from the University of Virginia. She worked as a Director of Development with Children, Youth and Family Services, the Boys and Girls Club in Charlottesville, and established a grant writing consult consultancy before joining the Children of Vietnam Board. So, And now she currently resides in Charlottesville, Virginia with her family and dog Toby. Nancy joined uh, Children of Vietnam as a volunteer serving on the board for five years before being asked to become executive director and Children of Vietnam's first U.S.-based employee. Since 2011, she has overseen the expansion of Children of Vietnam, including programs serving children with disabilities, single mothers with dependent children, and Katu ethnic mi minority children and families. During her time at Children of Vietnam, Nancy has overseen the strengthening of the Children of Vietnam Board, the expansion of both the U.S. and Vietnam staff, 
and the redesign of its website and communication strategy. She's also responsible for the development of key partnerships and collaborations with a range of foundations, corporations, and nonprofits whose missions and goals align with children of Vietnam. So without further ado, I will now hand it over to Nancy, who will tell you more about herself and about children of Vietnam. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Tiffany and Yasar. I really appreciate that, that uh, introduction. Um, first, I want to thank um, you and all of the VSA um, Eastern Canada members for doing so much hard work this year to volunteer and raise funds for children of Vietnam. The talent auction, I heard about that, and the 50-50 raffle and your collaboration with the New England VSA. I know it's a lot of work and um, for me and on uh, behalf of all of our staff here in children of Vietnam, I, I want to say thank you so much. We really appreciate it and it will make a huge difference uh, in a lot of young children's lives. So first, um, you heard about me, but let me tell you a little bit about children of Vietnam. We operate on the collective belief that um, every child should have the opportunity to live to their fullest potential. Every child deserves to thrive. We were founded by two people, Ben Wilson, who is an American and was in Vietnam for a number of years, actually building a factory where he met uh, Ms. Lung Thi Hung, who's Vietnamese and is our current country director. Um, they had a common passion for helping children and decided to do something about it. We've been um, lifting children out of poverty for 20 plus years now. Uh, primary goals are to assist children and families in breaking the cycle of poverty, ill health, illiteracy, and homelessness. And then also to provide immediate aid to children and families in crisis. And this could be anywhere from someone who needs a hospital fee paid for, or it could be emergency help during a typhoon. So the CPP that you're working so hard for is really about building, building community and specifically early education with access to clean water in Katu villages. Now there are 52 ethnic minorities, actually, excuse me, 54 ethnic minorities in Vietnam. And the Katu are a group that we've worked with extensively and they have asked us to, uh, to help them with some of their top priorities, which early education and clean water uh, are two of them. The uh, villages we work with right now are in Quang Nam province, which is in central Vietnam. So far, we've constructed 50 kindergartens throughout Vietnam, 21 of which have been specifically in the mountain ranges. It's not so easy to build <laughs> anything up in those mountains, as you can see from the village. And in the middle, there's a blue building. That building is our kindergarten, one of the kindergartens. It is very important to the villagers, so they put it right in the center. So it's easy for children to walk to. If the children did not have this kindergarten, more than likely they would not be getting any kind of early education. So the daily struggles of these families are pretty difficult and rugged. As you can see, um, they don't usually have clean water. They take water from the um, 
a mountain stream. They have to boil it to use it for anything. They uh, have no early education. And if they do go to primary or secondary school, they have to live residentially. Sanitation is usually going around the back of the house. There's, they have their own language. So there's language barriers. And healthcare is a health clinic that's probably 20 or 30 kilometers. And it's, it's um, if you're in a crisis, you're not gonna do very well. So the project goals for the CPP were, is to build six kindergartens, fully equip them with learning equipment and playground equipment. Children's ages are between three and six years. And so over the course of the project or the life of the kindergarten, you will we'll probably have served upwards of 30,000 children. It's about a 20-year lifespan for each building is what we're estimating. Further, we hope to install six reverse osmosis water filters to serve the kindergartens and the community. So the goal is the kids, children go home and they have to stay healthy. So even if they had clean water just at the kindergarten, it's really not sufficient. We need it to make it community-wide and raise the health of everyone, including their parents. We really can change their realities. They might have had kindergartens. If they did, they were very poor um, mud floors, tin walls, thatch roof. During the monsoon season, no one learns anything. And we provide a facility that is colorful and bright. Kids have naps every day, smiling faces, and the teachers are totally motivated to um, help these children. Plus, once we usually estimate, we usually ask how many children will attend, and maybe they'll say, oh, 18 or 20. And then once the parents see this beautiful facility, suddenly you've got 25 to 28 children attending the kindergarten and all their parents want to go. So what's important is ethnic minorities are 20 to 25% less likely to complete their first five years of primary education. This is why we think early education is so important. And as do the community to get them off on the best foot possible, the best head start, um, along with their urban peers. Dropout rate is very high in these regions. They're really at a perpetual um, risk of marginalization. This is what the clean water system looks like. Um, and it's a public access water system. The reverse osmosis uh, system is sometimes placed under the, what they call the ghoul, which is the village community house and that just tells you how important they feel this water system is. Sometimes it's attached to a lean-to outside of the school. We leave it up to the, the community to decide where to place this. And then villagers come and they fill up their liter plastic bottles and bring them home from these spigots. And unsafe water and poor sanitation lead to disease, ill health, lots of diarrheal diseases. In the world, 1.9 million children under five die because of poor sanitation and unclean water. But we feel um, water sanitation and good health practices are critical to the well-being of children, uh, as does their community, because this is a priority for them. The funding request was this when we submitted it. For every, our, our proposal, for every dollar that you raise is matched one to one. Plus local authorities are contributing their own dollars. 
and they we sign a contract with them so that they must provide a salary for a fully trained teacher and they're committed to the long-term maintenance of the kindergarten and the water filter systems. The kindergartens come equipped with um, ceiling fans, lighting, electrical system, water system, indoor toilets. They're usually about 25 by 30. They can, they can accommodate up to 40, but typically there's about 25 children in each classroom. Again, I said they're from three to six years old. Um, the average contribution from each village authority is about $4,000 on top of what you raise and what is matched. And the match is coming from three donors who feel so um, compelled and, and passionate about early education. Um, they have pledged this. So um, it's a really great, great project. So we have all these partners coming together and making it happen. I want to thank everyone for making a difference for these children. They're beautiful, lovely children. I visit up there every time I visit. The community is um, the Katu, and they are gentle people and very, very grateful, as are we. Anyway, um, so thank you very much, Nancy, for joining us and talking to us about children in Vietnam and providing uh, the information to help us engage more meaningfully uh, within the community. I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you. Yes, thank you so, so much, Nancy. Um, so now we will open up the floor to the Q&A session. Um, we do have some that were submitted prior to the webinar, so we'll start with those. So Nancy, uh, the first question that we do have for you um, was submitted and it asks, what motivates you personally to give back to the community? Well, I've always wanted to do something um, for my community wherever it was, but as it turned out, I ended up uh, in my life adopting uh, two children, one of whom is was born in Vietnam. So, you know, it's a really emotional thing when you bring a child into your life and it's also emotional in that you know you're taking a child from his birth his birth country and there's a loss in that that you have to recognize and of course i feel there's a gift because i'm giving him part of my life and my culture but it feels like the right thing to do to give back to vietnam because they gave me in a tremendous gift for my child and that's um and then uh, one other thing you know, every mother loves their children unbelievably. The emotion and bond is, is beautiful and tremendous. And I think about the birth mother and other birth mothers who had to make these very tough decisions. And while I'm grateful for the gift that I received, I'm, I think it's not fair if poverty is the reason why a parent has to make this decision. And I, I don't think any any parent should do that. So if I can help a family in the community stay together and and um, uh, just keep that family bond, I feel that uh, it's another way I can pay back for the wonderful family I have. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing, Nancy. That's um, a beautiful uh, sentiment. And the way that you're giving back now and the passion that you have really shows. Um, and so thank you so much. Um, related to that, what advice would you give to someone who wants to give back um, but doesn't really know where to start or put their energy? 
first of all, you take an assessment of your skills and then jump in. Say, you know, maybe you're you're in love with animals. Jump in and say, well, maybe I'll work for the SPCA and just go in, knock on the door and say, I volunteer. So find your skills and then find a, a passion that you want to contribute. And then once you get there, be present, show up. Um, it's hard, pretty hard to run a nonfit. You're usually always on a skeleton budget. So staffing and skills are always needed. And um, if you show up all the time, you will be highly regarded. And you might be like me where I, I actually, here's my story. I was a grant writer part-time, I had young kids, and I thought, well, I could do something else, but maybe I'll take a little part-time job. And I found Children of Vietnam on the web, and I met the founder, and I was thinking I was going to ask him for a job. But as it turns out, I could tell that there wasn't any money in that organization to pay for, to pay for me. So I volunteered. I said, well, you know, I can write a few things for you. And 14, 14 years later, I'm still here, still writing a few things, plus a lot more. So I would say um, you never know where your life will lead you. But if you're present and you dedicate to yourself to something, wonderful things can happen. Wow. Yeah, again, how that's really inspiring considering you can find your passion or really just reflect on what you want to do and be present yeah. in that in that passion. Oh yeah. Wow. All right. Um excellent. No, thank you very much, uh, Nancy. So the next question we have. Uh, that was submitted was, uh, and I'm going to quote this question because there's a little bit of context. So um, what challenges do you face when doing charity in Vietnam? How collaborative is the government officials? I know for a fact that in poor towns in rural areas, the officials are not very welcoming to charity organizations since they come there and build roads, schools, which eventually increases the people's income. As a result, the town lost its status as a poor town and received less funding and or attention from the government. Uh, a long question, but uh, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's a, really, um, a really nuanced question and observation. And in many ways, um, that's very true. You can uh, see that happen. And even in individuals, when we work with perhaps a single mom, um, sometimes we find someone who would just prefer not to break that mold so that they continue to receive support. Um, what I would say is that when we encounter that attitude, we just leave because their need is so great everywhere else. Um, so we look for local communities with the government officials who are willing to collaborate with us. Let us use their office buildings if we need them. Uh, let us train their staff and they can come and do come out to the field with us. So we, we select the locations where we feel we will have that collaborative opportunity and most of the times we're pretty successful we do we do find those um those areas but i you know the questioner is right occasionally you find some challenging situations and then 
at that point you can't do any more. And as sad as it makes you feel, you have to go somewhere else. Yes, thank you so much, Nancy. It sounds like collaboration is a really important part of the work you do, um, as well as kind of meeting the individuals where they're at. Um, yeah, which is also pretty important. Yeah, I would I would say collaboration is a hallmark of one of the things we do. We have only nine staff in Vietnam. And just so everyone knows, it's not a very big staff generally. There's myself here in the United States, and I have a part-time fundraiser um, and like a hourly bookkeeper kind of thing. So we, there's not a lot of staff and this, uh, here in the United States. There's nine staff in Vietnam. And we do a tremendous amount, not just in early education, but we also work for uh, with children with disabilities. We have a strong program uh, serving that population and then a strong program serving children who live in uh, single parent households. So, and, and then, then surrounding the whole education uh, arena, we serve, um, we have a big tutoring program for kids who are poor and their parents can't afford to give them extra lessons when they're needed. So um, with nine staff, you have to collaborate. You need the local community and the parents working with you together in unison. All right. Thank you so much, Nancy. Um, yes, a very nuanced question uh, with a very collaborative answer, I guess. Um, so the next, uh, the next question is um, a little bit more about the donations and kind of where the donations go, a little more of logistics. But um, so the question is, what percentage of donation goes into administrative costs? Do you have, do you have a pie chart or maybe if you can discuss um, where the donations go? Yes, um, I don't have a pie chart ready to show you um, or else we might be fiddling around with our screens again. I don't want to do that. But I can discuss where the donations go. We try very hard to keep what people call overhead um, or administration costs low. Um, I would say that we average about 15%. And that 15% pays for office facilities for the staff and it pays for um, salaries, electricity, um, desks, internet, phones. Uh, we pay that the staff use their own motorbikes to go into the field. So we pay for a, a gas stipend and also a maintenance fee. Um, so it pays for those kinds of things. Paper supplies, copiers, computers, all of those things are needed just to operate. Um, and it caught that is about 15% right now. But in the United States, the primary cost, to be honest with you, is my salary. And because all the other costs are either donated, I work from my home, I use my own computer. Um, so um, it's, a, it's a pretty low key, pretty tight ship. Thank you, Nancy, for the transparency and for sharing. Um, yeah, uh, with our uh, Eastern Canadian VSA uh, members, we are actively uh, donating. And so it's wonderful to hear kind of um, the hard work that goes into each and every dollar. So yeah, thank you. Um, we do have one more submission. Um, so this is, comes from um, a member who says, thank you for sharing your story, Nancy. Um, having been a part of the organization for many years and counting, 
What suggestions do you have for students and youth who want to continuously get involved with the things they are passionate about and not burn out by spreading themselves too thin with their multiple uh, commitments in the community? Oh my gosh, it is so true. You can get so burnt out. I totally, I think that's a great observation. Um, I think you should, um, oh gosh, it's, it's even hard for me to balance my priorities. So maybe you're talking to the wrong person. I tend to be a little bit of a workaholic. Um, you know, I'm kind of on 24 seven, but I also know that sometimes I have to just shut down the computer and turn off my phone and be present for myself and for my family. So that's what I would say to you. Um, you need to pay attention to yourself and your family and friends around you. And if they're saying, you know, yeah, you haven't been around very much when I needed you, you need to like change and turn that computer off or don't volunteer or back out of a commitment um, gracefully, of course, but pay attention to those cues because it's important to stay healthy and keep your, your relationships. Yes. Thank you, Nancy. Um... Yeah, as uh, so Yash and I are kind of serving as um, kind of active members, active on our executive board for UVSA Ontario. And I know we also have other commitments. So this this question comes at a good time in which we're trying to learn where to um, express our passions. And so, yeah, really listening to yourself and for those external cues. Um, I will definitely be following that. Yeah. It's OK to say no once in a while. Really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Um, with that, yes, Yasha, go ahead. So once again, um, I would like to thank uh, thank you so much, Nancy, uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule and uh, joining us and talking about children of Vietnam. Well, thank you very much. And uh, one more hearty thank you to everyone and all the hard work you've done so far, raising funds for the CPP and the kindergartens and I will be making reports. Watch our Facebook site. We post at least once a week with all of our activities. So if you want to see what your kindergarten is going to like, look like um, in a couple months from now, check out our Facebook site. Um, but so besides donating money and kind of um, following your work, which of course is fantastic, uh, is there anything uh, else or any other ways to get involved with children of Vietnam? Well, if if you have, the, of course, there are ways. <laughs> um, I do have uh, some technical. I need I need people who can help us technology. So I have a couple projects along that line that are on my back burner that we need attending to. Um, so if you want to volunteer to work with me long distance, wonderful. Um, if you'd like to travel to Vietnam, you're welcome to do that. I travel usually once a year in March where I bring lots of visitors and we have a big cycling event and fundraising campaign. And then I travel also in the fall and then occasionally people come with me in the fall, but it's the rainy season. So it's not always so wonderful, um, but it's fun. It's an adventure. You know, the never seen raindrops as big as Vietnam's raindrops are huge. Um, so if you're interested in volunteering, please let me know. And if you as a group of group of you would like to travel to Vietnam 
after some of our kindergartens are up and we could take you on a tour, I would well, we, I could facilitate that for you. Um, we'd happy to do that. So great. Yeah. Thank you for telling us about those opportunities. They sound like exciting projects to come. Yeah. Um, needed. <laughs> fantastic. Um, but yes, it was indeed an informative webinar. Uh, we do hope that people out there do understand a little bit more uh, clearly as to what Children of Vietnam's focus is and uh, the goals, uh, especially being this year's uh, UNASA CPP beneficiary. Yes, and if you want to learn more about Children of Vietnam, uh, feel, please feel free, uh, as Nancy mentioned, to go and follow their Facebook page or visit their website at childrenofvietnam.org. Um, if you want to learn more about UNASA, um, so the North, uh, the Union of North American Vietnamese Student Associations and their collectively uh, collective philanthropy project. You can visit cpp.unavsa.org um, and or unavsa.org. So U-N-A-V-S-A.org. Uh, thank you to everyone who has tuned in to today's webinar. We really appreciate your presence and uh, we bid you good night. Good night. All right. Thank good night, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, Nancy. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys.